Father, thank you so much for our time, and I pray it'll be productive, Father, that we will be uh, changed by our time together. And Father, in being changed, uh, in growing closer to you, we will be equipped to go into a world and be closer to them and actually help people. Father, most of my life, anybody that I was close to, I was a destructive force, and I guess not most of my life, but my early life. Father, uh, to be around me was to be endangered. And Father, you've changed me, and Father, I pray that you'll keep doing that with each of us so that to be around us is to be safe and to have an incredible chance of being saved. So bless us as we talk about what it means to communicate your truth with people. And uh, Father, I pray that we will be people who both model and teach the things you want us to. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I don't think we have a lot of instruction on how this is supposed to go, all right? So... This is the form, am I right? Make sure I'm in the right one. This is a form, not on cross chats, but on, about on studying the Bible with people. And uh, most of us are familiar with the studies that we use, that many of you guys use also. Some form or, or, or if not identical, but very near variation of the things that we printed out before and went through. So I guess, you know, we just open it up. If you have a question specific to those studies or in general about reaching out to somebody or how to do something more effectively. We've got a mic. I think, are they recording this? Yes. So you'll need to use the mic because we need you recorded and it's always good when you have embarrassing check, things check. recorded. All right, so, um, so let's just start off with whoever. Anybody have a question right over here? And what's your name? Sam. Sam. Sam, I am not. Hey guys, my name is Sam. I came with a group from Atlanta, and we're from like the Bible Belt South. So we get to study the Bible with people who are religious. And uh, what we're not familiar with is studying the Bible with people who have no like religious background. So like, how do, how do you guys go about introducing God and Jesus to them? Like what works best for y'all? Yeah. yeah, we have a mic right here, yep. I think I think with me um, when I remember when I studied the Bible I was zero religious like Christmas and Easter was about as much as I got and helping obviously presenting God's word but then helping that student to be able to dream within the context of God like I felt like I tried to do everything that I could to disqualify myself from a relationship with God uh, from my past mistakes the past that I had been through and um, just helping them to dream within that context of God loves you, God cares about you, God has a hope and a future for you. And that made like a huge impact on me because I didn't think I could do that before. Anybody else there? Answer? I know with me, and I kind of had a religious background, not my parents went to church, but I, I had been to church. I was an atheist um, until I was 20, uh, 24. And uh, I think the biggest thing for me is the impact of, of not only studying the Bible with people, but seeing the, the Bible lived out through people around me. And that was one of the biggest things uh, that I could imagine, because I was from the Bible Belt. I mean, we, we went to church we, on Wednesdays and Sundays, and I mean, they always went. And those same people that uh, I partied with on Saturday night, they actually went to the church on Sunday morning. And uh, I said, the only difference between me and you is you got to get up early on Sundays, and I don't. And, um, but when I saw a group of believers that truly, truly lived out what they said and truly were telling me, like, not only like, things like uh, God has a plan for you, wants to prosper you, but they believed it, and they carried it out, and they were Jesus in my life, that's when it truly changed, is when I saw that light in other people's. So. And I think from a biblical perspective, if you remember the parable of the soils just as a foundation, that you have this idea that there are different kinds of soils that are out there. And it doesn't classify them as religious or non-religious. 
but it probably assumes that whether, whether you're religious or non-religious, all of these soils are representative. So sometimes I think we get a little bit freaked out over the religious because all of the religious surveys, the Barna Institute, which is the largest polling group for religious people in the world, says that the overwhelming majority of people in the South, in the Bible Belt, will acknowledge that their religion does not affect them on a daily basis in making decisions. So they're not that much different than us to begin with. But I do believe that the Bible says, yep, got something glitching there. We do believe that the, uh, <laughs> that's where we go into cult mode. Uh, but the Bible says that it's the seed that has the power. But also recognizing that soils are different and, and we have the ability, you know, Paul said, you know, one plants, one waters. I would suggest to you that there's also things you can do that can break up the soil in scripture. Obviously, in John 13, our love for each other is one of the things that convinces the world that we're the disciples. Secondly, our unity together convinces them that he is the Christ. So our personal relationship, I think, it's when we're loving God consistently and really loving each other in a way like Clint and, and TC are talking about. When it goes together consistently, it's what the Bible describes as making the gospel attractive. You know, for, for many of us, we live in such a way that as individuals, when people know us, they're not attracted, right? They don't go, man, I want, I want to be like you. As a matter of fact, a lot of times, either our self-righteousness or our total hypocrisy, those two ditches on, the, in, on, the, on both sides of the narrow road, make us unattractive. Then they see us get together to church to where it's a ritual, and they don't look and go, man, I want relationships like that because they hear us talk bad about the church, or they're maybe even worse, they're, it's just an obligation. But when we live consistently, consistently before God and we are loving each other, it's, it's hard for people to ignore that. And not everybody's going to come to Christ, but when we do that, we do what Paul says, I think, to where we live in such a way to make the gospel attractive. Uh, in my life, one of the most attracting things as far as, you know, I'd like to say, hey, the reason people come around whatever, is because of my preaching. And I hope that I communicate truth. But the thing that's said more than anything else is you know, go back 35 years, and i am got this guy that's a dentist, no religious background at all. He's coming to church just very occasionally. I'm reaching out to him. Can't get him to come to anything but once a month, once church, Bible talk once a month. And so he comes to our Bible talk, and afterwards I go, hey, you guys want to stay around for our, for our family devotional? Because he loved our kids, and this is when Carrie was about seven or eight or nine or ten years old, and Ashley was three or four. And so we said, hey, you want to stay around for our family devotional? He goes, yeah. And he goes, that'd be cool. So we do our family devotional. For the next year, he never missed a Tuesday night, he never missed a Sunday, he never missed an appointment. And he told me, he said, I've never saw anything like that, that family, you guys' marriage, and the way your kids are. And he wanted that. So the gospel was attractive, not through my preaching, not through the humor, which, you know, they would say I didn't have. But anyway, um, but just through this idea of this is very attractive. So making sure that if you're living before pagans and they look like they're having more fun than you, if they look like their relationships are better, why would they switch? Right. Somebody else? Maxwell. He's, they're getting you a mic. Sorry. They're, they're bringing you a mic. Okay. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, you got it. Okay, um, so I have a question kind of uh, specific to the how to study the Bible with um, and international students, people who are not from here or 
people who might have English language barrier even, um, are there things we need to make sure we are emphasizing in those cases? I studied with a guy from China uh, a couple years ago, and just I think it's important, just like knowing like the different soils, just knowing the person you're studying with. So asking a lot of questions culturally, things can be different. So getting in and really like that might even mean re research on the outside of the study, of finding out like where they're from and the different things that they're about. Or um, he was a, a Buddhist, so learning and, and getting information on that, so I could equip myself as much as I could going into the study and just talking to him. And, and for me, it was a challenge, too, is like there were certain words in the English language he didn't understand. So knowing that I couldn't just run ahead, but I had to be sensitive to that and explaining as best I could and asking just a lot of questions to make sure they grasp the concepts. I know with me, um, in Corpus Christi, we study with a whole bunch of of people who were from Mexico and second language, or English was a second language, um, and then we, we kind of continued that a little bit on in Tulsa. But there's a lot more a lot more people that spoke English as a second language in Corpus. And what we did is when we studied the Bible with them, we would not just leave it there. You know what I mean? We wouldn't just study the Bible and say, "Oh, we're done," and then we'd leave and go on our separate ways because it was very foreign to them and it was very. Uh, but what they did is when they saw it lived out, and they would hang and they would be at my house and they would be like, "Okay, what does love mean?" You know, and then and then it, because they're in a Bible study, especially with a, a someone from an international, uh, I found out community to them means com it's, it's a foreign concept to community to us. Um, for example, we just in our church in, Corp uh, in Tulsa had a uh, t uh, two people from Africa just had a baby. And they're used to a community uh, to be around them. And we had a family stay with them 17 hours right after she gave birth. And I was sitting there going, that's too long for me. And I asked, I asked Ben, I said, Ben, is that too long for you? He's like, no, we feel the most loved we've ever felt. I was like, totally different community, because me, I'm like, baby, you best back off. You know, like, I need some space. I need to take a nap. I need to, you know, and I'm not even one who did the work, you know. I mean, so, you know, but it was just a different community. It was a different, different, and I, I realized that time to them is the most valuable, valuable commodity that you can do. So when you invest in those relationships, it allows them to process some of that stuff that you've been talking about that maybe they didn't get in the study itself. And so, so I think that's one of the most important things. And I think just realizing that your goal is to communicate the truth. You're not changing the truth, but when Paul said, I became all things to all men, men that by all possible means I might save some, he connected our adaptability with the ability to have these people saved. So to become all things to all men, and then he talks about to the Jew as a Jew, to the, to the Greek as a Greek, he had to have some understanding of both their cultures and their, and their, their customs and what they valued. And so as you look at them, there are things in our culture that, you know, that may be, you, you may be genuinely trying to love someone. If any of you ever have went through any of Chap Gary Chapman's book, The Love Languages, they have the five love languages for marriage, they have the five love languages for tick kids, the five love languages for little kids, the five love languages because the author needed more money, and so he published another book. They're all out there, okay? Uh, but in those, he talks about how you can be married to somebody, like, and you can be genuinely communicating love you may be a person who uses words of affirmation to let you feel loved by that, but your spouse may take acts of services, how she feels loved, or gifts, or special touch. So 
his whole point of all those books is that if you want to communicate love, you, you don't need to be able to, you know, why is it when we meet somebody who is, speaks a different language than us, then we think that we think talking louder is the key, you know. I said, that, you know, and, and we get louder. That and doesn't going, work. Right, right, it doesn't work. So that idea of, okay, what is, what is it that is going to appeal to them? You know, when we used to, when Carrie, when we were in, at Alton, when we'd have foreign students come over, uh, we found that a lot of what we'd connect with foreign students is either having them teach us the foods and the th- their, their customs. And so they'd come over to our house and we'd cook food. They would give us the recipe. Then later we could cook it for them. And so it put them in a position of comfort because they were teaching us. But that's that all becoming all things to all men. And then if you look at Paul before the Areopagus, he says, listen, I stand before you. I know you're all very religious because I see idols among you. And I notice one to an unknown God. And then he ends up quoting the poet. Even one of your own poets has said, it's in him we live and move and have our being. So he connected now. That's a wise connection that's there that allows him to communicate. He was so good at communicating that he offended them then. After you read the rest of that, we leave that out a lot. But knowing people, okay, how do I, what can I do? How do I communicate love in their language? Because love is that plow. When we love and when we're united, the hard soil can be broke up. Imagine love in, in relationship is a plow that breaks up hard soil. It still doesn't mean that the person's necessarily going to be receptive to the seed, but at least it allows it to penetrate with more hope and more potential. What type of, I guess you would say, bullet, bullets need to be in place to ensure that I'm not coming off like as a jerk to someone? And is that something that I need to be concerned with like in ministry? Because I know that's, that's pretty sucky. Like, I don't want to come off as a, a jerk, you know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, and religious people, we have reputations of being jerks, which usually means self-righteous and Judgmental. Definitely TC's. This TC going to answer this one? I have uh, quite the experience with this. Um, you know, I... His nickname is Taserface, by the way, so... <laughs> Boo! <laughs> Taserface! Okay, um... What a, what a dumb nickname. <laughs> um... I, uh, a bunch of years ago, Robert sat me down at Cappuccino's and we talked about my attitude and the way I came across to people. And that wasn't the only conversation that people have had with me, but if people don't know that they're loved, they don't care what I have to say. And so first of all, like Robert talked about, just love being the forefront of your relationship and how you come across. Robert can come across like really hard Sometimes, and this isn't like the same thing, but everyone that comes into contact knows Robert loves him. And so that gives him permission to be like what some people might call a jerk. And he's not a jerk, by the way. It just, he said probably the hardest, most straight things with me that if he didn't have that, I would probably want to punch him. And he, want, uh, he wanted to punch me anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but just he was not, afraid. <laughs> Taser face is not afraid. <laughs> um, so uh, just knowing that and knowing yourself, uh, something that I try to do is if I feel like I've offended someone, I go back and talk to them about it. If in my heart I feel like I want to offend someone, I try to go back and talk to them. And uh, if, is Jenna in here? Jenna and I have a really similar personalities and we butt heads a lot. And I started doing this with her because our relationship wasn't good. It wasn't godly. We were fighting all the time. And I went up to her one day and I was like, you know what? Earlier, I don't know if you could tell, 
I was not happy with you, and it wasn't you, it was me. And it allowed for me to be humble and to go and admit wrong, even when I wasn't, I was just wrong in my heart. And in fact, that's helped break down things and just really just loving people. And like Robert said, knowing the person that you're talking to, them knowing you in your heart, and season everything with salt whenever you're talking with people. And I don't know, I'm a big jerk. I still have people talk to me about things like that, so. Um, I was just gonna say, um, I don't think I'm necessarily the best communicator, so something I really have to do um, before I do study the Bible is pray a lot that God will speak through me. Um, I think sometimes I can, my first impressions with people, or I can come across as kind of blunt, and they don't know how to read me sometimes, and I do agree. I think you really have to know your audience and know you know, who you're studying the Bible with. So that means spending a lot of time with them beforehand and just building that relationship with them and investing in them. But I know when you get down to it and you, you know, you start studying the Bible with someone, I just, I do, I have to pray a lot that God will speak through me and he'll speak clearly through me because I don't think it's something that I'm naturally good at. I don't, sometimes I do really struggle with my words. So being confident in who God made me to be, even if I no, I can't necessarily communicate the greatest. I think just really, really allowing God just to speak through me and asking for clarity too and knowing that, um, I don't know, I think that gives me a lot of confidence in going to the study, knowing that I have God on my side. So, I think uh, I in, in resonating with my, my personality type is, is not to offend anyone. I want to be everyone's friend. I want everyone to like me. Um, but I'm charged with speaking the truth, uh, especially in the context of, of a study and sharing God's word. Um, I think the most effective tactic um, for, for me to get over my hesitancy towards offense, um, yet I believe it, w- it does and would also work with um, being gracious in the presentation of it is to ensure that um, you're communicating clearly this is, this is God's word and you're putting it between the individual and God's word and not yourself and your thoughts and opinions towards this individual. Um, and you genuinely love this individual uh, and, and that would be will, will come across and how you treat them and communicate is that because you love them uh, and you know that, that God has great plans for them and his ways are are best, and he desires their life to be whole and more than it is, that, that putting, putting it between ensuring that, that it's God's word and them, and, and that they're wrestling with God's word, as well as um, that it's, it's because you love them and God loves them, that you're not going to back down from truth, because yeah. their life can be something better, and it's filled with hope and not condemnation of you're so bad or you're so wrong or um, this or that. And I think you asked a question and framed it with what bullets do I need to use? And I guess obviously the first thing is this, this love is, is that first thing. You, you make sure that everything you're doing is because of love. And if you're not sharing the truth, the truth without love is offensive. Love without the truth is irrelevant. You don't help anybody. So make sure that you're loving. That'd be the first thing. The second thing I think is make sure you're humble. Uh, Years ago, when I, was, when I was in school and they were teaching us how to study the Bible, there was a, a, a study method called the Open Bible Study. And I don't recommend the method. It's kind of a canned approach. But one of the things that, that this guy, Ivan Stewart, I think was the guy's name, he said, when you talk with people, sin, never make it big U, I'm, big U, little I. 
like you are the big sinner and I've got it together. But he said, as you share and talk about sin and your struggle with them, let them know that you are the sinner too. You're the big sinner. So big I, when it comes to sinner, I'm a big sinner, little you. And it makes it to where people can relate to you. You know, I got with a guy just recently and I, who I don't know well, but he's, he's had a, he has a, a, a struggle, and I'll change the scenario, he has an addictive struggle that's destroying him. And we have never sat down and talked. And after we talked for an hour, he goes, man, he goes, you are, he goes, you're the preacher, but you're so easy to talk to. And the reason I'm easy to talk to is that anything that he struggles with, I relate to. I'm not better than him. The difference in me and him is, is the lordship of Jesus in my life and the power of the spirit. And it's hard for somebody, even when you're pointing something out that's wrong, if it's not just wrong for them, but it's wrong for you, if you're not being this self-righteous person who has it all together because we don't have it all together. If we have it together, it was put together by Jesus. And so we're talking with him, and, he's, and that was his biggest thing. And I, and I think, you know, we're, we're going to have a chance to have a relationship. This guy's got some real serious issues. But after our first conversation, I have no doubt he's going to go home and talk with his family and go, man, I really like that guy. And yet we talked about him ruining his life if he doesn't make some changes real straight. So love them, want their best for them, be humble enough, and then always remember to give them hope. Uh, you know, the Bible says that love is the greatest of all virtues. Humility is the thing that allows God to energize you. If you humble yourself, God will lift you up. He'll give, he'll, he'll give you power. And then if you give hope, the Bible says hope doesn't disappoint us. A lot of times people in the world, the reason they don't come to Christ isn't because they don't want to follow Christ. They don't think they can. So always as you study, let them know that, you know, that the sin is not just an arbitrary law that God put there, but sin destroys us from our potential. And every study, no matter what study you have, every study I go, whether it's the word, whether it's seeking God, whether it's discipleship, the one constant thing that I want to make sure that after that study is over is that I've given them hope. The confident expectation that God has something great planned for them. So here you are loving them. You're humble and admitting your struggles with them that I'm no different you and you're giving them a hope of this different life. They may still get pissed off at you, you know, quite frankly, but if they do, that's on them. You know what I mean? And they got mad at Jesus. You know what I mean? We're probably not going to be better than Jesus, I'm just thinking. But love, hope, and humility. Um, so there have been a few guys that I've reached out to and studied with in the past that have uh, learning disabilities as well as comprehension issues. And I was just wondering if any of you guys had like any tips and just ways to really make sure you're getting that truth to them and you know, helping to speak that to them in a way that they, that they can understand. Yeah, I, I think of um, a guy, you, you guys probably know him, um, just because he's loud, he's, he's a lot of fun. Chris, his name's Chris Mars. Um, he didn't get to make this, this retreat because of, because of work. Uh, he's, he's suffered some, from some brain damage, and he has a lot of difficulty in reading comprehension. And his, his text, you get like every other word, what they mean in his Facebook post. Um, great, great guy, a lot of, lot of fun. Uh, but I, I got to study the Bible with him. And it was different it, very quickly in the Bible study. It, it became clear that it was going to be different than a study that I'd done previously. Um, because in his text message, when he's misunderstanding things, miscomprehending them, you know, I don't check that. It's not a big deal. But when he's um, misreading what God's Word is saying, that's, that's a big deal. And so in that instance, um, him and I literally read out of the same Bible, um, word, for, word for word. And it's the only study in which... Like if he, if he would misstate a word that I would have to graciously correct, here's what it says. 
um, and even read the passage back to him when he was done with it and ask additional questions to ensure that he was really um, picking up on and comprehending what, what the text said, what God's word had to say. Um, so that, that was my experience. I think it's a really good idea when he talks. Somebody who has learning difficulties reading the Bible, because usually you have the person read the verse, but if they're having struggles, they may not be able to read and comprehend at the same time, so reading it for them or with them right there could be really helpful. At UMSL, we have a whole program, the Succeed program, where it's students with disabilities from autism to just a whole wide array of things. And we've studied the Bible with quite a few of them. So, again, that's every study is different when it comes just depending on the person. Uh, we've shortened studies. We've not modified them in a sense to take away the truths that we're trying to teach, but, but making sure that they can understand them. I try to have the guys reteach the points to me. Like, so what does that mean to you? All right, so you're saying this and making sure that they can at least like, tell me like, the concepts um, loving them through uh, hope, the same thing that Robert was just talking about, like just because you may be quote unquote different or whatever, uh, that doesn't mean God doesn't long to use you doesn't mean he's not going to work in your life and doesn't mean you can't walk with him, and we've had uh, people surrender their lives through that program and so it's, it's been amazing uh, our cross chat we have probably what five to ten succeed students every week that come and they just love being loved because society has cast them out just like I felt like I was and there's a place in the kingdom for everyone so and and don't do what school systems do pass them on when they don't really get the information yeah. go slow if you have to Jesus spoke most experts would say probably on a fourth or fifth grade level he used the Greek Koine Greek which was a common Greek to communicate simply it's weird how we religious people use Greek Koine Greek now to make ourselves look smart you know, it's like, okay, Jesus did it, but he didn't choose it because it was, it, it made, it was simple. Everybody could understand it. The school systems passed him on. The cool thing about Jesus is the fundamental things about following Jesus are not difficult to understand. They're difficult to accept because we are selfish people who want to control our own lives. So the biggest, the biggest battles that it's going to take for them to be godly is not an understanding battle. You know, they can understand you can't be selfish. They can understand you've got to give up your life. So communicating that, but don't, don't give them a pass because the good news is that they're not If they have a struggle and they're their lords, they're their, own, their greatest resource and they've got what they can do. If they surrender to Jesus, they've got what Jesus can do. And I've watched people through the years, some incredible people with special needs, I mean incredible people, do things that have absolutely blown us all away. So it's, 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 it's amazing what God can do to the surrendered. Um, so how would you go about studying the Bible? So I've been with a couple of girls who they're super consistent, like every, they come to every Sunday, come to every like cross chats on Tuesdays. Each week they're asking like, hey, can we get another study in? But like their lifestyle changes, like don't show like that they are really seeking God, but they're just kind of here. Like how do you go about making sure that they really understand that it's like the relationship with God and not just like the friendships that are here. Um, I mean, Ashlyn, I mean, you're in the ministry, you were together and I've seen you work with, you know, a lot of these girls. I think sometimes we have to remember that it's not going to be a quick process. It's going to take time. Um, I think about myself and 
um, just how much time people had to pour into me and invest in me. And I think remembering too that, you know, we're, we're not trying to simply, and I know, I know you, and I know this is not what you're doing, but not, we're not winning converts. We're, we're remembering that we're trying to make disciples and this is a part of the process. And you know that a lot of these things that they're doing, the experiences, the things that they're going through, I think God can really use if they choose to, you know, surrender their life. And um, just remembering that it takes time. It's a process. And um, I think, too, if there are people who are still going out and doing one thing, but they are studying the Bible, um, especially if you've gotten to discipleship, is really challenging them and holding them accountable to that. Um, and I think this is where I struggle, too, you know, the... How, what should I say, what should I not say, you know, but I think you speak the truth in love, and, you know, you really help guide them, you know, obviously, again, to life change, but it is a process, and it's going to take time. I feel like I've studied with a lot of girls that, it's, I mean, sometimes it's taken years, and that's okay, and I think God is still capable of using those people, and um, again, like everyone is saying, like, just continue to keep offering hope, too, and um, just really challenging them and holding them accountable. I think Jesus was much more gentle with the ignorant than he was with the informed who weren't listening. So I don't think, you know, you can't make anybody do anything. God didn't give you that power. But you need to be communicating truth. If I've got a somebody that's unchanging and they're coming to everything, I'll let them know. And, you know, when Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I say? You know, there are passages that you can take people to and say, hey, you, could, could, you know, you have to veer from your studies. Maybe a little bit they're there. Uh, I think what Katie said also, if, they're, if you're studying discipleship and none of that is changing, the challenge needs to go upward. You know, hey, you said you were going to be a disciple. How does doing what you're doing jive with that? Make them face truth. Don't let them live in denial. Don't let them live in the, what the religious world is that I can be a follower of Jesus and not follow Jesus, utterly ridiculous, but that's what's out there. But in your, out of your relationship, continue to confront them with things. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? You know, James, you know, that if you're not, if you don't respond to the word, your faith is useless. So you have to veer out and, and be reminding them. But even with that, you have to continue to love, be patient and push them. And you may push them away, but really the truth is they, you didn't push them away, they walked away no. because they didn't want to do what's right but keep loving them. And if they walk away because you give the expecting of Jesus, that's okay. Then when they come to their senses, they'll be like the prodigal and they'll be back. I know with me, uh, uh, the people that, that, that showed me Christ, they first showed me them in 18. And I walked away for five years. And the, but the one thing that was consistent in those five years was that Dave Ortega and that Scott Jarvis loved me. And, and uh, they, I mean, they, he would call me and we would keep in touch uh, a little bit over and over. Um, and, but it was in those times that I totally ran the opposite direction. Uh, I didn't walk. I literally ran the opposite way. Um, and then when I was broken and I, it was kind of, it was very much like a prodigal son moment. I had nothing left. Uh, the first person who I'd call in a crisis for some strange reason was Dave. And Dave never threw it in my face. He never went, well, he would ask me questions like, how's that working out for you? Because that's truth, and we need, to, we need to know that. But he wouldn't go, you know, you're just stupid, and you just keep running away, Clint. He never said that. 
He just said, Clint, I'm here for you, and I love you, and I want to help you, and I want to see you. I know you can get past this. And then I would run again. And, and I did that until he confronted me the very last time is, is that uh, I lost a bet, and I ended up going on a church retreat. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I went there, and he, he sat me down, and he said, look, how, how many times are we going to play this game? And he had a track record of history of being there, so I couldn't throw him out for that. You know, and so he, he built that up and he had that credibility of going, are you going to do, are we going to do this? Are you going to follow Christ or are you not? I just need to know because I just need to know if I need to let you wait, walk away the very last time. And, and that, w- that was a wake up call to me because he was the one thing that was going right. He was my one relationship that I truly was going right. And so continue and be there, talk the truth out of grace and love and take the opportunities Jesus gives you. Um, <clears throat> something that, uh, God's timing is different than ours. Uh, you look at our lead evangelist, Zung, you know Zung. Uh, she took like almost two years to study the Bible. She went to Germany. We didn't know if she was coming back. Uh, Mikey, uh, those of you who don't know, Mike, Mikey was a 22-year process almost where he was almost like born in the church, walked away for drugs, came back. The, the apostles were with Jesus for three years, and at the end of his life, they still <laughs> abandoned him and denied him. So just knowing that God's timing is different, the heart's got to be right, love, consistently being there for people, hoping for them, dreaming for them, and just knowing that we're, we're commanded to, to preach the word, the, the gospel, the good news, and it may be 5, 10, 20 years down the road that someone remembers someone who loved them at their worst uh, because of a God who loved us at our worst. I'm not trying to contradict TC, but what I would say is our timing is different than God's, and that may sound the same. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. The problem with people is not that God isn't, doesn't want them saved yet. The problem is their heart isn't there where God is. Uh, you know, somebody, there's a bumper st- a shirt that I saw the other day that said, uh, everything happens for a reason. And underneath it, it said, it happens because you're stupid and do dumb things. That's the reason. And I, you know, and, and <laughs> that was in the finer print. I'm going, that was pretty funny. So you have to recognize that though, that God is working on them and he, some people are hard-hearted. Some people, you know, for me, I didn't experience, I didn't really have the change of heart that I needed to until I almost threw my life away. So just what all these guys are saying, just realize that their heart isn't where God needs them to be, but keep loving. And sometimes loving means letting them go. Don't waste your time on people, you know. Can you imagine Philip, if he's talking to some hard-headed person and he, and while he's in Samaria, and he's going, man, I'm gonna, this guy just keeps coming around to try to convince him. And all of a sudden, the eunuch goes on by because he's busy with this person who hasn't had any. Continue to love, but you can't let them dominate you. Love them. They've got to respond to Jesus. You can't make them. My question is this. Um, what is your advice for, like, when you're reaching out to maybe a couple and maybe one is more seeking than the other or the other one is not at all? Like, what things can you say or do to encourage and also to try to help win the other person that's not so much interested, like especially if it's a husband or wife situation. Or boyfriend and girlfriend. I know, I know what me and my wife do um, over and over again is uh, uh, when we get to know a couple, um, she gets to know the girl, I get to know the guy. We truly invest in in each other's life and and when you throw like kids and I mean this is I know this is a college form but when you throw kids and other things in the misc it's a different ball game it truly is um and being on the campus ministry side and now now I'm, a, I'm the branch minister at our at our church uh in, in Tulsa 
um, looking at that in a different way, um, it, it takes time. Uh, it takes a lot of, uh, you know, I, I, again, I let them see us. Uh, my wife will usually, uh, my wife and my kids will usually get to know their wife and kids and everything. Usually, uh, out of our experience, has always been the guy that's been the most um, skeptical of things. Usually, um, that's not always the case, but that's usually that's what's happened to us mostly. And then it's in those times when we just, you know, Kelsey will say, "Oh, we got this going on." I'm like I'm busy, and she'll say something like, "Well, uh, you know, uh, Cliff is going to be there," and I'm going to go. I'm going to drop everything and be there, you know, because I know how important it is to, to reach out to this person and to talk to them. And we've had great success in our church over and over again, a just genuine relationship of, of being honest and being real. And that would what all of our couples, uh, the last, last year we probably had six couples join the church. And the reason why they've, they've come to the church and they're in studies right now, not, and some of them aren't in studies, they're still looking at us through a very skeptical eye, is, um, is that we, 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 op- we say, we're an open book, read me. You know, Jesus says we're a light on a hill, and if we're a light on a hill, light's job is to shine. Good, bad, no matter what, shine. And those people just come up and like, there's such a genuineness here. There's such an honesty here, and that's refreshing. I've never seen that. And, and so, and I think it's my job to keep up with, to continue being genuine and honest with them. And, um, and then work, work you know, uh, I, when I get to know them, and we, we have trust, uh, when I start talking to the guy and everything, it's just... It just builds up a relationship to where we can say those hard things. And so we've had, we've had this past year two couples get married that came to the church that weren't married. We did studies with, they were baptized, now they're married, and now they're doing it, um, which is really exciting because we took over a church that, uh, did, I, did I say that wrong? They're, they're married now, it's okay. Yeah, it's good, they right? went in the right order. That's, that's, that's what good. you do when you get married, you married? do it, okay? That's just Wait, what is happens. this not that kind of forum? Oh man! Oh no! I mean, forum, not form. Okay. Oh, well, I gotta go. Uh, (laughs) I um, no, but I mean, they they came to the church, they came to the church, and they were not married, and then we performed the ceremony for them because they they said they don't want to live in the life of sin. Well, how'd they know that was a sin? It was because we did a study with them, and and they and they saw that, and they didn't want to live that way any longer. And now they're doing the mission. Yeah, Absolutely. Right. It's no longer. It was when you said now they're married and they're doing it. That oh! Them off, okay? Well, they're, you, do, they're actually doing it before, too. But that's okay, too. That, that, I think that's that was God's the point. Way. Someone take the mic from me. All of a sudden, these people wanted to be converted. You know, it's like, hey, all right. <laughs> and, and honestly, with what Clint is saying, one thing you have to recognize in, when Jesus spoke is that he didn't expect husband and wife always to become Christians. You know, one of the things he says in Matthew chapter 10 is that the members of your own family will be your enemies. So sometimes you have to recognize just because they're, number one, there isn't such a thing as, you know, you don't become Christians as a couple. Christianity is about your personal relationship with God. And one of the hardest things that we, that we have to communicate with a married couple is this is not about your husband or this isn't about your wife. This is about you and your personal relationship with God. And so sometimes your role will be to communicate truth and to encourage them to continue to follow Christ when their mate doesn't. And we have a lot of that that goes on. Uh, You had a lot of that in the first century church. You had a lot of abandonment because they became Christians. So you do everything you can. We'll do couple studies here because one of the things that sometimes a couple study can do is it can render this decision to where you think this is, this is a decision we have to make. No, we don't make this decision. We can't make this decision. If this is not an individual decision, it's not conversion. Our, our studies are always 
We just we just studied. The we did Bi- a couple of studies. Yeah, we we just studied the Bible so. with um, a couple, and they refused to do it separate. And I knew from the get go that that was a warning sign. That, and they did, they got to uh, repentance, and they were like, I heard the guy verbally say, "Well, things have got to change." And I was like, "What was that?" And he goes, "Oh, nothing." And then she shut down, and then we didn't hear from him. We haven't heard from him since. And so that, that to me was a sign of the heart. We're still trying to figure out couples-wise. So it was good to hear from Robert and Clint. So. Anybody um, else? Oh. Go ahead. I'm so, okay. okay, whatever. Um, so I go, I haven't been going a lot lately, but I've been going to this um, game shop where we play, you know, games – but I play, I play, I'm sorry. Okay. I, okay, so the game that I play is Magic the Gathering. And, but here's the thing, um, 90, probably 99% of the people that go there are, I mean, don't even want to hear anything about God or anything about like, like you talking about Jesus one bit. And as soon as you do that, I mean, I've developed a really good friendship with every one of them, but as soon as that subject comes up, shutdown happens. And people get angry. Um, what do you do in that, in, in that place, that situation? I know from, from my experience, they're angry for a purpose. You know, they're angry because they've usually been burned before by people who call themselves Christians but had their own agenda. And, and I know when, I'm, when, I, when I get into those situations and I realize they're, they're just mad because I'm a believer, there's more to that story. And when you go down that rabbit hole with someone and going, well, what's more of that story? Why don't, like, and, you know, why don't you like Christians? And, and then get them to be honest. And when they be honest about whatever they're coming out with, don't judge. I mean, I, I tell people I have no stones to throw anyway. <laughs> you know, don't judge what they say. You don't always have to say, oh, yeah, that's good to go. You should continue doing that. But once they get it out and everything and going, I'll still be your friend. I still want a relationship with you. And usually when I see people who have been burned by that, they go, well, that's different. You know, and, 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 that, and that causes more conversation. And, and it's not a quick fix, especially in the area you're at. There's a lot of skepticism in the gaming world with Christians. I've seen that. Um, and it's just, it's just constantly getting in those conversations, and I would say being light and truth in those areas. And so, and I think examining how attractive you are, you know, if you're, if you're living a life, like Paul said, making the gospel attractive, whether they want Christ or not, we should be the kind of people that goes, man, I want that. And so it takes a very deep, honest look at ourselves. Uh, a lot of gamers, quite frankly, are perpetual sixth graders. Perpetual sixth graders. They're, they're just caught up in this, this immature, self-focused kind of world. And being able to show them that you can be involved in games, not be, not be selfish, and yet be Christian and be good and be fun can be a challenge. So I'd encourage you to look in the mirror and say, is there anything that's drawing about my life to where they go, I want to be like you? Because all you have in common is the game to draw them from. Probably they're better at the games than you are. So they are the ones that will be the influence. They're going to be teaching you a lot more than you're teaching them. And then secondly, I think if you have a situation where after a prolonged period of time that nobody's interested, you've got to ask yourself, why are you there to begin with? 
we're not careful, so I've got friends who, who've been in sports, and they're like, well, I'm, you know, the one guy particularly in bowling. I mean, I reach out to my friends. I said, how long have you been bowling? Oh, 20 years. How many friends have you reached? None. And I said, do you really think your bowling's about them? And it wasn't. It was about him. So his motive was skewed to begin with, which is probably going to make him ineffective to begin with. So, I, you know, at some point, the Bible says that if people aren't interested, that we're supposed to shake the dust off our feet and look for someone who is. So, again, don't dominate yourself. First, look at yourself and see, am I, am I communicating this in a way that's, that's, that is attractive, that people want to be like me? And if you say, I'm, I'm sharing the truth in love, I'm being godly and attractive, and still after a prolonged period of time, nobody sh nobody's interested. As a disciple, it's time for you to move on. I'd say how, also how deep does your relationship go outside of the gaming? You know, if you go into the gaming, they're not going there to hear about God, right? But if you can get on their level outside of gaming, they may be more open to talk about it. They're not going there to have a religious debate. They're going there to duel or whatever with magic and carrying that relationship outside of and see if it goes anywhere, and they may be more open to talk one-on-one -on -one than if they're around a bunch of other people that are already going to be skeptical of what's going on. Uh, Maybe something to help you, but then like Robert said, I've got disc golf friends that I used to disc golf with a lot, and they, they don't want it, so I don't, nothing against those guys. I love them. I, I care about them. They, they know we're friends, but I, you know, when I play, I'm, I'm, I've got this guy now that I'm talking to, and we've had really deep talks, and it seems like this is going somewhere, so this is the guy I focus on. If not, I go to someone else whenever I play because it's something that I do as kind of a, a, a recreation thing and to kind of like get my mind away, but then I also have the purpose in it, all right? If this person doesn't want it, I'm going to someone else. If this person doesn't want it, I'm going to find someone else. And so... Well, I also study the Bible in a day, so... Yeah. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. But um, I think you just know, and getting advice from wiser, more mature. Hey, I've been hanging out with this guy for a while. We've been playing magic for a while. And this is the kind of the attitude I get whenever. And, and just knowing that you can still love that person, but then go on, find someone else, find someone else. And then if that's not the place for you, go somewhere else and, and do your hobby or whatever. And I would encourage you this kind of a novel concept at a Bible lectureship or something that you'd look in the Bible to answer that question. Look and see, do some research, find out what did Jesus say about people who aren't open. Look at how the apostles functioned through the book of Acts. Because you didn't find them camping. You find them in some places going and sowing seed. When there was no receptivity, they went along, went to the next place. But in the missionary journeys, would, they would come back through and there would be a harvest. Why? Because people in the interim had heard that truth. And while you weren't there, you're not the power anyway. The gospel is. And there are people that years ago that I tried to talk to, I could get nowhere where, and then their life fell apart. And they're going, maybe I need to change. But the absence is what allowed their, them to have to deal with them, their own selves to go, oh, man, I've got to deal with me. So look at this scripture again. We go, when do you know? Get in the Bible and do some study and check that out because there's some, there's some pretty good examples both through the Gospels of Jesus going, telling the apostles when they're going out how to deal with the community that they're in. Through the book of Acts, there's a pattern of how the apostles preached and related. And then in, in, in the epistles, you probably don't see that quite as much because that's letters to Christians. But in the Gospels and in, in Acts, you get to see there's some good stuff you can discover. Uh, I was just going to say real quick, not to beat a dead horse, but, you know, I think the harvest is plentiful, and I think that, um, I think, just to encourage you, there are people that are longing for a relationship with God, and so if you've spent time there, it is time to move on, and remember that, you know, those people might be, you know, you may have planted a seed, 
and it's time to, you know, to go elsewhere. Just, but just to remember, I remember meeting girls at Lindenwood, and it was their first year there, and I remember studying the Bible with them and them saying, I came here because I wanted a relationship with God, and I prayed, and I longed to meet, you know, a ministry. And I remember studying the Bible with her and thinking, you know, this, you know, of course there's going to be rejection, but also to remember that there are people looking for something different and they, they're longing for something different. So just remember not to get discouraged either, uh, to check your motives. I agree, you know, with everybody to check your motives, but to keep searching, you know, Jesus went and found his men. And so I think continue to keep searching and, and looking for those people. All right. We got time for one more quick one. Uh, good question, Jason. Um, I think Jonathan had one more, so this will be the last one, and then uh, we'll break for our other sessions. Well, she's had her hand up for a while oh, down there. Sorry. You can do too. Go ahead and ask his one. Um, I was wondering, so if someone agrees to do the studies, when is a good time to, like, start holding them accountable for like the harder things because I feel like sometimes I can feel like I'm walking on eggshells with them. Like, I don't know when it's okay to say this and when it's okay to say like, I guess some, like something else, like should, does it just depend on the person or? Yeah, I, I think again, just building a relationship, you know, with the person that you're studying with investing in them, getting to know them, spending that time with them. So that way, you know, you, more, you are more equipped to say the hard things. But I, I definitely think, you know, if you've gotten to discipleship and they have said, you know, I want to do this, I want to be a disciple. Well, when you say you want to be a disciple, then you invite people to hold you accountable. You say, I want correction. And, you know, I think if, if they've opened up to saying, you know, yes, like this is something that I want to pursue, I want to surrender, I want to listen to God. Um, again, a part of the process, a part of the discipleship process is holding each other accountable and saying the hard things to each other, regardless of how we feel. Or, and I think sometimes, you know, I think you, you, we got to say the hard things. And if that pushes them away, then they weren't really ready to become a disciple. And so I think just remembering that, again, you're here, you know, we're studying the Bible um, for, you know, we're trying to, um, you know, again, make disciples, and you want to see life change. You don't want to just see changes that are going to happen and quickly, you know, turn back. But, again, it's just a process, and, you know, continue to be faithful and, offering hope to, but, you know, we have to, you know, you don't, you know, it doesn't want to be one of those things where they, you know, they surrender their life and they're baptized and all of a sudden you're starting to challenge them and say all these things. It, you know, you want to start, especially if they've said, you know, yeah, I want that. I want that. It's why all of our studies have a, a question that they had a decision and a challenge after the study. So holding them accountable to what they've decided to do and what they've committed to. Like if, if you've studied the word and they're not getting in the, their Bible at all, you need to go hold it. This is some, don't hold them accountable because they've not, you know, left the girl that they're living with or whatever. But you said, you, you know, one of the things we talk about, you're going to be a Berean. You're going to study your Bible consistently. So hold them accountable to what they've accepted with doing. Because if not, what you teach them to do, what you're teaching them is to be forgetful hearers. You're teaching them to do the very thing that James said don't do. If you allow them to hear the word, say they're going to do it and do nothing, you are enabling them 
to form a behavior as a, what they believe is a believer. It's not, it's as a doubter. So to, to whatever they've said they're going to do, and those challenges get more progressive when you come to discipleship. There's some radical challenges there. You have the three circles, and then when it comes to baptism, that's a final decision of absolute surrender. But don't expect discipleship after seeking God. Don't expect baptism after studying the Word. But do expect them to study the Bible if they've said they're going to. And give them the reason you have that challenge is because it gets to gets, gives you the opportunity to evaluate whether they're just saying this or if they're really getting it. I, I know one of the things that I, I like to do that, that is, uh, I think self-discovery is one of the greatest things you could ever do. And so when someone is saying, oh yeah, I went out, and someone you're studying with, I went out and I partied all night. I really, I ask the question every time, I know I've said it a lot, is how's that working out for you? And they would automatically, they'll go, oh, it's going great. Well, you probably got the answer if you're going to continue the studies or not. You know, but if they're going, I hate myself. Or you get a little bit deeper. You see, that's them coming to their own conclusion of saying it's not working out. And you can do that at any time. At any time. I've done that with people I've just met. Well, how's that working out for you? And they're usually like, I, I don't like this guy. <laughs> you know, they walk away. But, I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll sit there and they'll go. And once they make that discovery, I, I think that can be said at any moment. And so, um, but it's always said in love. And too. So I think it's knowing when God to say it and knowing the questions to ask. But I, I, on, I honestly think that if you're going to confront them with the hard things, you, you, they have to come to the self-discovery that it's bad for them. I already know it's bad for them. They have to believe that. And so once they see the practice of that in their own life, it's a lot more powerful. I found. All right, last question real quick. I just want to ask if you guys could speak just a little bit on the, uh, I guess, mindset, if you will, as to far as how you just determine between whether or not somebody's taking you for a ride or if they are, because I know with reaching out in Bible studies, a lot of times it takes a lot of serving. And, like, how does that look to have a proper mindset on is this person just – Am I enabling them or am I helping them? Because you, know, you only got so much money, especially if you don't have a budget or anything like that. So, right. Robert, you want to answer that? Uh, I would say watch, number one, how much effort are they putting into the relationship. The Bible speaks of strong people and weak people. Weak people need assistance to get where they're going. Strong people will tend to go without as much assistance. But both of them, a weak person will move with assistance. If you're assisting them and they're fighting against you, they're not weak, they're rebellious. And so again, a rebellious person, you still have to love them, but they're not ready you know, if, to, to, to receive Christ or to receive the help. So if you just continue to, to throw you know, your effort into them, what you teach them is I can use people and still you know, not respond. So you love them, but just you know, watch for progression and watch for heart, you know, and that's something you'll know. And there's always the risk. The Bible says we're fools for Christ. There's a reason why it describes that. In order to help somebody, you have to be willing. I do, have done a lot of work with addicts in the past. Addicts will make you look like a fool because you have to choose to believe somebody to give them hope. But in choosing to believe in an addict, you can end up looking stupid, going, you thought he was really going to get better. How could you believe that? You have to be willing to look, be look like a fool sometimes and just love anyway. So if they're going to use you, let them use you, you know, in the innocent stages. Don't let them use you when it's obvious. But... We're going to get used. Jesus got used. We're going to look like fools. That's okay. If we're doing it genuinely trying to help them, there's nothing you can do to avoid that. So sometimes you're going to get taken for a ride. Amen.